the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, um, where he told his disciples that his body and his blood were going to be broken and shed for them on the cross. And remember, this is a huge event where Jesus is ultimately saying that the course of human history was going to be different from here on out because of his death and his resurrection. Uh, That night, Jesus also revealed to his disciples that somebody at that table was going to betray him. Um, And you can tell that that the emotions are probably running really high, and it says they began to question another about who this could be, because here's the person they've been with, you know, spending time with intimately, uh, sitting at his feet, learning from him, following him, and he's telling them he's going to die. And they're arguing about who was going to betray him. And this is where our text picks up, this, picks up this morning. So if you would follow with me in Luke 22, uh, we're going to be reading verse 24 through 30. So just hear God's word. A dispute also rose, arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority... Over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is God's word. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, as we've said a couple times already, um, we just ask that you would uh, protect the women driving back from the the retreat today. Um, We trust that, that they have gathered in your name and that you have said that wherever... Two or more gathered in your name, you are there. So we trust that your spirit was present and uh, just encouraging and teaching and um, just maturing them as followers of you. And I pray that us here, uh, we would be equally encouraged and challenged and that we would look a little bit more like you as we leave this place. Um, having been in contact with your word, um, with your spirit, with your community that you've given us and being reminded of what you did for us. Um, on the cross and what it means that you have been raised from the dead. And so really there should never be a Sunday that we walk out of here. If we come into contact with those things that that we would not be changed. So uh, I ask that you would give each of us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and open our hearts uh, that we would be receptive to um, what it is that you have for each one of us. We pray for all these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen. So when our text picks up in verse 24, uh, there is a dispute going on. It says that uh, they were arguing about which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And it does seem a little inappropriate, right? Because Jesus just told them how he was going to lay down his life for them. And then they get in this argument about who is the greatest. Um, But I was thinking about this earlier this week, and I'm like, well, it kind of does make sense. You can see how it would escalate there. They're arguing about or questioning one another who's going to betray Jesus. You know, oh, it's going to be you. I know it's going to be you. Me, I love him more than you. It's going to be that guy over there. Me, yeah, I love him more than you, but I started following him first. 
Well, you started following. Well, I sold all my stuff. Well, I quit my job for him. Well, I was there when this happened. You can just imagine how pretty soon they're arguing about, well, who's the greatest? And Jesus interrupts their argument because the disciples are missing something that is so fundamental to all of Jesus' teachings. Because while they're busy arguing about who is the greatest, Jesus told them that he was going to lay down his life and to die for them. And to follow Jesus is to serve like Jesus. And so I propose that in looking at this passage today, um, we're going to see this. That you already have a seat at God's table, so don't be afraid to serve. You already have a seat at God's table, so don't be afraid to serve. And, and this morning we are going to look at, at two models and one blueprint that this text gives for us. And the two models are... The first is the values of the world. The second are the values of the kingdom. And the blueprint is how to live in the middle. So let's just jump into this. Our first model uh, that this text gives us are the values of the world. So in verse uh, 25, Jesus is being very intentional about describing the ways of the world. And and he uses a couple uh, simple pictures that he paints for them. The first one, he says, that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And the point is simply this, that the kings of these nations, they have power and they use it. I mean, Jesus isn't condemning wicked rulers or unjust systems or corruption or greed. He simply is telling the people, look at the way those in power lord that over others. And Jesus is commenting on the way that the people in power, they hold on to that power. And they show everyone that power, they have that power and they leverage that power. And then he goes on talking about people in authority calling themselves benefactors. Um, What does he mean by this? The word benefactor is actually referring to a very specific practice uh, in this world in the first century. So what would happen is that the wealthiest people of the cities would function something like the welfare system. And that um, people in need would come to them. And they would give them gifts or money or food or or whatever it was. So often you'd have people who would gather at the gates of these rich people asking for these things. And and the rich person would would dole out whatever it was. But it wasn't really a free gift. uh, Because when the benefactor gave you something, you were expected to do something in return. Uh, Maybe you would go back to the public square and you would be telling everybody, look at this great person, look at all these great things that he did for me. Um, you would be speaking about how generous they were, and the, the purpose was to publicly support that person, uh, to boost their honor and the, the public opinion of them. Or interestingly, um, something I read said that, that the benefactors, they would do these things, and in return, when they died, all the people that they had helped were obligated to attend their funeral pro- uh, procession, which was apparently a big thing of honor. Like, the more people you had at your funeral that said, what a great person that you were. And Jesus is saying that the values of the world are like this. People give in order to receive. They, they want to climb some social ladder. They want to be recognized in the streets. They want to be invited to the most important parties. They, wanna, they, they do these generous things, but they do them so that they receive something on the other end. And this... Uh, This critique Jesus has is not just for the wealthy uh, 
people of society. Actually, if you look back in Luke 20, verse 46, he's, Jesus is critiquing the religious leaders of the day for taking part in the same practices. He said that you know, they love the special greetings, and they have the special robes, and they have the best seats in the synagogue. And, and he says, yeah, they're doing good things, but they're doing it only so they're recognized. They, they love this public approval. They might have been serving others, but they were really self-serving. Um, and I think we see this a lot today, right? I mean, maybe where you work, um, maybe in your school, um, you see some modern version of this and actually have a, uh, a clip that I'm going to show uh, of something very similar lived out. Um, you have a couple characters in this clip who are doing really nice things and going above and beyond, but you don't get this from this clip, but in this episode of this TV show, um, they're doing this so that people owe them, so they kind of have them in their pocket, and their goal ultimately is this one guy wants to get this other guy fired, so they're doing all these things that they can say, don't worry about it, you owe me one. So, all right, check it out. Wait, I have a little surprise for you. Let me guess, you ate the bagel I gave you and loved it. Yes. <laughs> and I wanted to return the favor. I was polishing my loafers and I happened to look over and noticed that your briefcase was a little worse for the wear. So, a little elbow grease and she's polished right up back to her former glory. Oh. Build against your cheek. I will. You give me a gift, bam. Thank you, note. You invite me somewhere, pow. RSVP. You do me a favor, wham, favor returned. Do not test my politeness. Let me get that door fixed. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much, yeah, man. I got it for you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thanks. You know, here's a healthy fitness tip. If you clench your buttocks together while walking, you can really take the pressure off your knees. Is that right? Observe. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> right? That really works. Yeah, feel free to use that yeah. anytime. Okay. Hey, hold, hold on a second. Do not. Walk around with your jacket, uh, cattywampus. And that needs oh, to be straight as an arrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, thank you very much for that. You are okay, welcome. Have a seat. Allow me. Uh, have Thanks. a seat yourself. You know what? I am going to preemptively change the batteries in your wireless mouse. Not necessary. No, no, no. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Andy is complicating things, but I'm not worried. This will only up my game. That's what it looks like where I work. I don't know. That's what it looks like where you work. Um, Okay, yeah, this is a TV show, and it's funny, but it really does reflect um, many of the values of this world today, the way that that people are doing nice things, but there's some other motive about them gaining something from it. I mean, think of the way uh, politicians are, are constantly having to talk about the great things that they have done while they've been elected. Uh, the bills that have been passed, you know, they, they've balanced the budget, and they, they need to justify that, that you have voted for them in order that, that they can get your vote again the next time. Um, or maybe you've been to a museum or a performing arts center somewhere, and you have the plaques on the wall of the different groups where people have donated, you know, $50,000, and you're a diamond, you know, donor, and then gold and silver and plastic and dirt and I don't know, whatever's, I don't know how far down it goes. Um, I remember having a conversation with our, our former music director here, Clark, when he went down to Los Angeles 
to study guitar and uh, actually down in Hollywood. And he said one of the hardest things about Hollywood was that that everybody that you would meet, you got this sense that they wanted to know what you could offer them. They wanted to know if you were going to be important in their networking cog or if you were going to help them be a step in the right direction, whether it was to be a musician or in film um, or a model or something like that. Um, or another way that, that we might see what Jesus is talking about here is the way that um, you often find leaders of companies, CEOs, where they want to make it very clear that they are the ones who are the Lord over their employees. Um, like Jesus says, the king of the Gentiles here do this. I talked to someone recently at the church here where they, they said that their CEO was scheduled to come out and visit their particular branch where they worked. And so this person had to prepare, uh, do this presentation, get everything ready, and the CEO canceled and rescheduled. So he had to do it a second time. And I think currently he said they're on their sixth or seventh rescheduling and canceling. Um, somebody else was telling me how their CEO of some large company here in the Bay Area is notorious for, for moving afternoon meetings back to 7, 8 p.m. at night, just so it fits their schedule better. And, um, and I'm not trying to point fingers and be like, oh, business is terrible. But, but we often do see this mentality that says, I'm the king. You are below me. You work for me. I pay your bills, so I'm going to have you do whatever because that's, that's just my right. And these are the values of the world, Jesus says. But then he turns the corner with this phrase in verse 26. But not so with you. And so this is the, the second model of, of our text today. We first had the values of the world, and now we have the values of the kingdom. Jesus says that the greatest must become like the youngest, and the leader is the one who should be serving. He uses the word youngest here because and this, is a, this is a culture where there's a direct correlation between your age and your status. Um, so the older you were, the more you were to be revered, the more you were honored. Um, so young people in this culture were just kind of like, yeah, whatever, young person, move along. Um, and if we think about this, I mean, this is really radical, the way that Jesus loves to show how children are supposed to be our models. And if you think they are the ones who are the lowest rung on that social ladder, well, that's really shocking then, because the way Jesus, uh, in Luke 9, when he brings a child before everybody, and he says, you know, that you were supposed to receive this child, and it's just like receiving me. And then he goes on to teach that the least among you is the greatest. Luke 18, Jesus says that we are supposed to receive the kingdom like a child. It's very different from this world today where, where children are often, we schedule our whole lives around children. But in this society, to have a child be a model is really radical. And then Jesus uses the illustration of a banquet. And he says, isn't the one who reclines at the table, so the one who is sitting and eating, isn't that one greater than the one who is serving? And the way Jesus asks the question, um, it's actually, you don't see that in the English, but there's a, a Greek word in there that he's expecting them to answer, yes. He's saying, yeah, the person at the table is greater. Right, right? You go to Chez Panisse, you see Tom Hanks in there, one of the Bay Area's greatest exports. You see him sitting there, and then you see a couple people who are filling his water cup and cleaning off his plates, and 
isn't Tom Hanks the one who is greater in that situation? And you would say, yeah. But Jesus says, but I'm the one who's serving. See, the values of the kingdom are entirely different than the values of this world. And just as a footnote, um, when we speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or just the kingdom, um, what it's referring to is the, the, the place where God's will is being done. Um, so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are, we are praying that the kingdom would break through more in this earth, that God's will, God's perfect ways would happen more. And, and we believe that the kingdom is broken through in Jesus, but it is not fully realized. So just a footnote when, when I'm meaning when I say kingdom. So the values of the kingdom of God are entirely different than the values of this world. I mean, let's just take a look at a couple of these. Matthew 20, Jesus says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Luke 14, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke 6, it says, blessed are you who are poor and hungry. In Acts, um, Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The way of the kingdom of God is completely upside down in the way of this world. In the way of the kingdom of God, it says that the way up is down. Jesus says, you want to be great? Cool. Then become like the least. You want to be a leader? That's fine. Then follow me as a servant. And I believe that each of us here has some place in their lives where where they have an opportunity to lead like Jesus by serving others. You know, what are some places that you have power, uh, where you have some sort of authority or even favor with people? I mean, this isn't just for CEOs and managers, though it certainly would include them. But do you have authority in your family, uh, with your children, in your workplace? Do your, your classmates look to you as somebody who is a leader um, or even as a trusted friend? And if you want to be a leader, serve them. Sacrifice your time and your energy and your money. There was somebody that I was talking to in this church that said their, their New Year's resolution was just to say yes to people more. That's kind of scary, but that was her way of saying, I'm going to serve people more. And if somebody asks you to do something for them and your instant reaction is, why would I do that? I have nothing to gain from that. Or, that's below me. I, I'm paid to be doing this stuff, and I'm not going to do that stuff. That's, like, below my job description. I mean, maybe be thinking, okay, in the kingdom of God, if the way up is down, maybe those are the exact things I should be doing then. And just a side note here. I think this text, it shows us something uh, really neat. You know, it's contrasting the values of the world. Uh, what is power treated like in this world. It says that power is, is held. It's used for personal gain. It, and then we have the contrast at the end of the text, uh, verse 29 and verse 30. What does Jesus do with power? It says, I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Just to make a brief note on that, um, Jesus has all the power in the universe that is given to him from God. 
And what does he do with it? He shares that power. He asks his disciples to to share in that power. He gives his disciples shared authority, asks them to be judging alongside of him. And this is completely the opposite of what Jesus says the kings do with their power in verse 25. So, anyway, you might be sitting asking yourself, okay, I get this, I'm reading these words, but why? Like, there has to be some reason behind this, right? I mean, if I own my own business, why would I clean the toilets? Is that really what you're asking me to? And this text gives us our answer. And I, and I gave it away at the beginning. First of all, Jesus says, do it. I think that would be enough. I mean, I would like to think for myself that would be enough, but I'm that person who's always asking, but why? Like, what do you mean do this? Like, give me, give me something, right? But this text actually does make this clear for us. Because Jesus tells us to serve now because you already have a seat at his table. You don't have to use other people for gain. You don't have to worry about climbing this ladder or, or playing by the world's values and rules. You don't have to flex your muscles to prove that you are the one in authority. Because here is the promise that when the kingdom of God is fully realized, you will be feasting at the table with the true king. So we have seen how the world works, these two models, right? Or the model of the world, and then Jesus turns that corner and says, but not so with you. And then he gives us the model of the kingdom. And just as we finish up today, um, this text also gives us a blueprint for how to live in the middle. And what do I mean by this phrase, uh, live in the middle? I, I, I often think of that in this way. The teachings of Jesus, when I read them, and I hear his words, they often make a lot of sense to me. Like, take this phrase here, you know, it says, you know, to be a leader is to be the one who serves. I'm like, okay, this, this makes sense, but sometimes when I do that, it starts to make a little less sense. Because sometimes, right, when you serve others, you end up getting walked on. Um, or when people start to learn that you are this humble, generous, giving person, they're starting to take advantage of you. Or um, because you're sacrificial, or, or maybe you don't brag about all these things that you've done, you know, you might start looking like a bad employee. And, and sometimes we think like, oh, okay, this made total sense, but when I did it, it actually really backfired. And I just want to say this, that we are called to live now for the kingdom of God. That it has already began. It has broken through. But it's not fully realized. And what this means is that the world around us is not living according to God's perfect ways, but we are called to. And so living for the kingdom now is really going to be pushing against the grain of, of many of the cultural norms, of many of the values of this world, the way the world treats money and, and sees this idea of sacrifice here. We're going to be going against the grain, and it's sometimes it's going to look weird, and it's going to feel really uncomfortable, and it will be painful sometimes. 
because we are going upstream with the world in many of these ways. So what I mean by middle is living in this tension between knowing that there will be a time when God's ways are being done in every corner of the world. When the kingdom is fully fully realized, there will be that time. But that time isn't now. And so how do we navigate that tension? How do we sit in the middle? And I feel like in my life today, uh, I'm sitting in the middle a lot. Uh, I've recently been engaged to be married. And being engaged looks like the middle in a lot of ways. Um, We have initiated this process. You know, the proposal has happened. We've made this decision that the the marriage is going to come. You know, it's planned in the spring of this year. And we are in the process of that. And I'm living my life as if I am a husband. Um, I, I am making plans according to that identity as a husband. Uh, I'm not dating other women. I'm treating my finances as like, okay, I'm going to have some family someday, even though my fiancé did say that that she's talking about spending all her money before uh, we get married. (laughs) Told her it was a good idea. Um, But I'm looking at my finances like this. I'm looking at our future living situation, and, and I'm living as if I am her husband already, but I'm not. And we're putting in all this effort, but sometimes it's just hard. She lives down in L.A. I'm up here. Sometimes we get weekend visits. We get phone calls, but we don't get to live in the same city. So we don't have all these, the joy of being together all the time. And now you add wedding planning on top of that, and she is taking so much of that burden on her shoulders. And we're doing all these things, but the reward is still further down the road. And we get these glimpses of married life, and they are good. But at the end of the weekend, somebody's always saying goodbye and driving back to their homes. So we are not fully experiencing the joy of being married, but we know it's coming. I mean, the future promise of this marriage is motivating us. It's pushing us through the middle. And I'm not trying to be, you know, graphic or anything here, but it's that promise of the future consummation of our marriage. And the way that, that we are looking forward to that is the exact same thing that Christians are doing as we wait for the consummation of the kingdom of God. That we are waiting for the fulfillment for that time when the kingdom of God is fully realized. And we are eagerly anticipating that, and that is pushing us through this point of tension in the middle. And I just want to finish our time this morning looking at the blueprint of how to live uh, in this tension, how to live in the middle. And there's two things that stand out in the text. The first one is a radical community, and the second one is a radical king. So remember what meal they're having here, right? This is, you know, we call it the, the Lord's Supper, um, but this is a Passover meal. And, and who did Jews have Passover meals with? Well, their families. And who are these people gathered around the table? Well, they're not family. They're the disciples. And, 
Jesus actually has the audacity to pull these men away from their communities, away from their families, because he's establishing this new community, one that is not based on their bloodlines, but one that is based in his blood. Earlier in chapter 22, Jesus says that my body and my blood are going to be given for you on the cross, and my sacrifice is going to be the basis of your new identity, and it's going to be the foundation of this radical new community. And so what are his instructions for this new community? Verse 26, we see that he says, but not so with you. All right, let's do this. Can you say this with me? But not so with you. All right, let's do it again. But not so with you. And we are a part of this exact same community that's seated around this table with Jesus. I mean, this is the church. This is the same community that we sit in here today. And we have the same values and the same command of Jesus. And he says, live with the values of the kingdom, not the values of this world. They're like that, but not so with you. And, I mean, man, do we have to be reminded, because that is so unlike our human nature, to to serve and to be the least and to humble yourselves. These are very unnatural things to our flesh. I mean, we do want to be recognized. We fight that desire that we want the plaque on the wall when we give X amount of money, or, or we want the building named after us when we donate this, and, and we want that honor and the prestige. And to fight against this, we need to be speaking truth to one another, constantly reminding one another, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or in your home groups or with your friends or your classmates, constantly be reminding one another that this isn't so with you. And I pray that for this community, that just becomes the norm. That this is just the culture here. That we are that community that is constantly reminding one another, hey, we play by a different set of rules, remember? Okay, let's try this again. But not so with you. Okay, turn to somebody. I'm literally, turn to somebody and tell them, but not so with you. Everybody, find someone. Practice. Practice makes perfect. So the last element of this blueprint is that we have a radical king. When Jesus came to this earth to die for us, he didn't stop being the king. He completely transformed what it looks like to be a king, but he didn't give up his identity as the king. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as Mark tells us in chapter 10. But he was still the king. I had this uh, ethics professor in seminary who, he liked to point out that not only did Jesus become flesh and blood, but he literally made the greatest downward journey that is possible. So he would always say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, a, a place of power and authority and prestige that is unmatched by anything we are ever going to experience or even get a glimpse of in our lifetime. And that in becoming flesh, he ended up dying a death on a cross, crucifixion. And crucifixion was literally the bottom of Roman society. I mean, it was such a humiliating, excruciating death that they didn't even allow Roman citizens to experience this. It was for the murderers and the thieves who were the lowest of the low. 
And so what we, we look at when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, as we are recognizing that he literally came from the most exalted place you can imagine to literally the lowest place in the world at that time. And this is God's king. I mean, this is our king. And I want to fight against temptation to qualify, you know, how much we're supposed to serve, or is there a limit to this? And I know that serving is going to look different for every person here. But there's going to be times when it's hard, it's unnatural, and we think, like, why am I continuing to give my time and energy and doing things that really don't make a lot of sense and they seem below me? I want us to look no further than to the example of Jesus. Because he asks you to give, and he asks you to serve, but it is nothing compared to what he had to give. And here's the greatest thing, is because he plunged all the way from the top and experienced that death on the cross, we don't have to. Because he went down to the depths of, that the world has to offer, and even coming from the heights that he was at, it's unbelievable, but because he did that, we don't have to experience that. He asks us to sacrifice, but it's not anything more. It doesn't even compare to what he did. And because he poured out his life as an atonement for our sins, we can serve knowing that we already have a table reserved for us in his coming kingdom. And so it's with this that we turn to the communion table here. Um, this table reminds us where we came from as sinful people and who we are as redeemed and beloved children of God because of Jesus' death and resurrection and where we are going. That Jesus says he will not taste from this table again and, until he's doing this with his disciples in the coming kingdom. And we're supposed to live as this radical community in the middle, which points people to this, and which points people to what's coming. And we welcome everybody at this table uh, who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. You don't have to be a member here. You can be your first time. But if you say, yes, that is what I believe, I have put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, then you're welcome to come forward. Um, there's going to be a couple people... Uh, holding the elements here, if you would come down the center aisle and, and take the bread and, and dip it into the juice and, and pass back uh, around the side. And we remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread when he had given thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And before you come up, I'm just going to pray for us uh, just to close, but I want to pray for us uh, the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2 because you know, no matter how much I've read about this passage in commentaries or looked up things and listened to this and watched that, there's nothing that compares to these words of Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Um, 
I'm actually going to have it up there. It's going to be a little small, but if you have Bibles, you can follow along with you. Uh, and I'm just going to ask you to, to hear these words as I read it, but as you come up, um, maybe as you're in line even or sitting in your seat, to, to read these words again and reflect on them and then think, okay, God, what does this look like for me? Right? What are you calling me to? Where are you calling me to, to lay down myself? Um, so hear these words for me uh, and then come forward as you're ready. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the for- in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? God, this is my prayer for us. As your radical new community that you've called us to this new identity, And you've called us to do difficult things, but it is nothing compared to what you have done. So as we look to you as a a king who had every right for all of the riches and the power in the world, did not count that as something to be grasped, but gave that up to die for us, to die the lowest imaginable death, and to be raised from the dead. And because of that, we are guaranteed a seat at this table in the coming kingdom, but help us to live like that now. Help us to serve sacrificially because our future is secured and we have that confidence. And so give us the eyes to see that and have us be a community that reminds one another, but not so with you. God, the ways of the world look really, really good sometimes. And the values of this world that are in conflict with you Uh, Sometimes they make more sense, but remind us to see the the big picture and keep that that long view and remind us and remind as we remind one another, but not so with us. We don't do this out of obligation or, or out of some desire to earn your favor, but in response that you were the one who did this first. And following you, we would expect that our lives are going to reflect that somehow. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for our sisters who are driving back today, God, as we take these symbols of the bread and the blood, or the body and the blood, um, that you would make them real to us and that your sacrifice be very tangible to us. So we pray all this in the name of the true King and the risen King Jesus. Amen. Come forward when you're ready.